Hello friends, my name is Jude Mont-McGowan and welcome to Words Found Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia. My guest today is the president and founder of Vessels of Hope, Dr. Tracy Johnson. Tracy is a self-professed lover of learning. Now a teacher and lecturer herself, it was her innate curiosity and pervading love of knowledge which served as a beacon of hope in the problematic circumstances of her schooling. Underfunding, teachers insufficiently aware of the problems a dyslexic child faces, and insensitive classmates were just a few of the obstacles she had to navigate. She uses the pain that she endured during that time to help children and adults with dyslexia avoid those same hardships. Vessels of Hope is a non-profit organisation Tracy funded to help support similarly low-income individuals with learning differences, particularly with dyslexia. Vessels of Hope lead workshops, they spread awareness and empower children and adults with dyslexia. Her message to fellow dyslexics is clear. You are valuable and you have the power to view yourself in a more positive light. As always, this is a podcast to support the incredible work of the Dyslexia Foundation. Their mission is to unlock the full potential of children and adults with dyslexia so that they can succeed and contribute fully to society. They have done and they continue to do incredible work. They test any adult off the street and teach them to read for free. Everything is free at the point of use. What I loved about this episode was Tracy's energy. She has a real love of helping other people, which is self-evident in in the fact that she is now a teacher herself. She loves uh, encouraging people just like herself from low-income backgrounds to um, get the knowledge, to understand their diagnosis and to own it. It's a really lovely episode. Very excited for you to hear it. So here it goes. Tracy, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And to join you today. Thank you so much. It's our pleasure. And and firstly, for posterity's sake, I want to apologize formally on the podcast because <laughs> a classic incident happened um, just before we we went live. Um, I mistakenly gave uh, Tracy the wrong recording time. She's, a, of course, in Philadelphia on the East Coast and I'm in London. And I told her 3 p.m. Philadelphia time. Um, and I got the time wrong for myself here. I thought that would be 8 p.m., um, British time, but it was actually, of course, 7 p.m. Um, but luckily, um, Tracy being the ally of, of dyslexic people, um, she understands better than anybody uh, that my mistake, and, and she very kindly was understanding about it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I prepared uh, by reading your, your quite wonderful book. Um, if anybody hasn't read it, I, I urge you to. It's called Journey of Hope, and it's, 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 it's a wonderful guide uh, for for dyslexic people um and throughout the, the, there are there are nuggets there which are revealing about you about your life tracy and and there's there's that recognizable sadness you know the the instances uh, where things have happened to you like you, you talk about being on a date and not being able to order a pina colada properly um, yes. <laughs> and be and being at church as well um yes. i wonder that this that sort of um the acceptance that you that you have and the the encouragement that you put out to dyslexic people, what is that down to? Is that is that down to the pain that, that you felt as a dyslexic person? Absolutely, absolutely. I I completely um, 
empathize as to what we really live through every day, what some people really take for granted, um, like things like ordering off a menu, like playing board games with your family or you know, being at church and asked to read a passage out of the the Bible, which seems like simple to most people. But for us, those are things that are are crucial or just really sometimes um, crippling us, just dealing, you know, just with everyday life, really. And and we I know really that pain and that hardship and that uh, that fear sometimes we even we face when we're faced things like that and how it can um, really um, hit our self-esteem and our self-worth. Because again, we all know being dyslexic that we're smart, but sometimes mm. to the outside world, it does not appear that way. And when we're trying to retrieve words or we're trying to read words and we're trying to spell something, um, it always appears that we're not as intelligent as we know that we all are. Yes, Completely, completely. And it's sort of, you sort of, you get caught up sometimes in in those instances where you, you feel so powerless and you feel like, you know, you feel frustrated with your dyslexia and you sort of forget that you are a capable person. You forget that you're intelligent. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I, what I also talk about, even when I talk to some of my um, clients are just like the internal dialogue that we even say to ourselves is sometimes crippling because no matter how sometimes how no matter how many wonderful words we may hear others say about us and things that we've accomplished and because we are all you know a lot of us are successful in in what we do but sometimes those negative words really are speak louder a lot of times than the than than the wonderful words that we do hear we don't always repeat those things especially when we're having as we call sometimes those dyslexic moments when when mm. something we don't spell mm. something right or we don't read something right or we make a mistake because of our the way our brain is wired um that we don't we often do not echo those uh those wonderful words that we hear we awful often echo the downward words that we hear and we repeat them to ourselves and we have to begin to repeat the the good things i even tell uh some of my students that i even work with it's like look try to make a, a smile file for yourself i was taught this myself try to make something you know things that happened to you or things that you've done that were that were really good try to hold those things when those negative things come and they do come in our lives especially with us i know that we deal with those things when we have to read write and 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 spell all the time and it's like oh here i go again you know i can never do this i can <laughs> never do that you know we have to really get those negative things kind of out of our out of our ecosystem out of our brain a lot of times and it's it's hard it's not easy but it's 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 things that we constantly have to remember to do because i think we're harder on ourselves than some people are totally we are so let's take it back let's let's go back then you talk about this a little bit in your book, and I've and I've and I've heard you talk about this. So when you were young, you were constantly being, um, you know, put into um, uh, special needs classes, and there was this affirmation, you know, that you know you shouldn't take this path; it's not going to work out. Um, let me into your inner dialogue then, because there's a tremendous amount of bravery and self belief that you had clearly that that you had something to give, um, and despite what teachers and who, what, what have you were telling you, no, it wasn't going to stop you. Yes. Um, it, when I was younger, it was really hard to see that because I, I thought like, okay, why am I not reading? Why am I not writing at the same level as my peers? I really, 
I began to spiral down that that um, slippery slope with this, my low self-esteem, you know, my self-worth and all those types of things. But I kept saying, I know I can do it. Some It was like a little Tracy inside, honestly. Like, I know <laughs> I can do it. I know I can do it. I know I can do it. They can't see. I can't do it. I felt like I was in a glass and pushing to go on the glass, beating on the glass, saying, I can do it. I can do it. But you can't see that I can do it. So yeah. um, grow, just growing up, just just going through those, even when I was, you know, told that you could not, you know, college wasn't for you, shouldn't even try college, work, go somewhere, work with your hands, all those type things. It was, it was just, you know, heart-wrenching at times, but um, I just kept trying. It, it was just something, I just kept trying. I just kept trying. And it was not until I was able to get into a, a proper, uh, number one, a proper diagnosis, and uh, the proper reading program, where it was for dyslexic for dyslexic students, that I was mm. able to see that light inside myself. Like I knew I can do it. This is how. It, yes. it was somebody. It was when I actually got the proper tools that I needed. The switch went on. Like now you can see that what was inside of me that I can do it. And once that light even went on to me, I just wanted to shine and like, wait a minute, let me tell other people how to turn on this switch or get them to the switch where they can get the help that they needed. And that was really what empowered. I didn't want anyone to feel like I felt when I was a child and growing up and dealing with dyslexia. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I know that feeling so well. So what was it? Was it a love of a love of learning? You know, was it was it um, a, a subject in particular that you that you because you know you've gone on you've you've gone on to college you've studied time and time again uh, clearly you have a love of of learning was that a curiosity you had from when you were young or as I say was it something a subject in particular? I actually always love learning. I love uh, to to explore different things. I had a passion to learn, but it was just hard for me, especially in in the printed world. I, I can listen more than I can actually, of course, read read text. So I would I love to learn. I mean, my favorite subject I remember it as a young child was was actually um, um, history. I loved history. Oh, me too. <laughs> I love sociology, things like that. So I those are the things that I just I just lo- I love museums. I love to explore and see and see you know what was in the past, what's in the future. I love art museums and things like that. I've always loved learning. I had a passion to learn, but it was hard to access it through print. So I yes. actually discovered other ways to learn. So that that was really was my passion. I love knowledge. I love to learn. I love to to explore and new and know and and know different different and new things rather. So it was my love of learning. So that's why I, I even I, I was telling my fiance, I miss school now. Like I really miss being in the classroom. I miss learning. I miss growing in that fashion because that was just always a passion for me. Absolutely. So so let's paint the scene. There's there's a little Tracy at school and she falls in love with learning. She she falls in love with history and she's curious about why the world is the way it is. But the way uh, information is passed to you is difficult to decipher. But you, but you know, you're taking in, you're taking all this in, you're enjoying it, maybe more than other people who aren't dyslexic. And it's tough because the two things aren't computing in your head. Um, you know that that you feel like you have an aptitude for learning, but it's not going in in the same way as everybody else. Um, yeah. Was it was it until later on that you found those ways of 
you know, um, taking in information, or, or was it when you were when you were young? It was it was definitely later on. I mean, I graduated high school still not able to read um, in the way that I was supposed to. Um, so it was definitely um, later on when I was. That's when I was actually I, I began to my own journey to explore why. I was having so much difficulty because I was never told I was dyslexic in school. I just was told I was slow. I was, you know, lower than all of my other peers. I was dumb, kind of. That's what my peers kind of told me, dumb, slow, stupid, mm. all that, all those things growing up. But it was not until after I got out of high school, I'm like, why? You know, what's going on? And I saw an episode on TV of a, of a character who was struggling with dyslexia. And I was like, maybe that's me. And that's wow. where my journey began. And um, I connected with a, a local organization, um, actually the International Dyslexia Association, which I'm actually a board member of our local branch now. And that's where I was actually identified. And that's where I found out I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. Not all those things that they told me. I'm dyslexic. And that's when I began to explore, okay, now what? Now what? Now what can I do? Like, how can I get help for myself? And that's when I was able to find a tutor that helped me begin to, to took me really back to the basics. She, I went through a program here called Wilson, the Wilson reading program, and took me back to the basics to really decode the words, you know, take words apart, put them back together, really hear their sounds properly. That's something I've never, I was never taught when I was younger. So. Yeah. Well, that's immensely heavy, you know, taking, Mm -hmm. taking that to being, I, I would imagine what, 16, feeling like, you know, your peers thought you were, uh, in your words, stupid or, or dumb. And then to finally have a diagnosis, you know, to, to put a name on it. And, and and you talk about this, the value of this in your book about being up front of, 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 uh, with your diagnosis. You know, say you're dyslexic. It, it feels like that, that, that instilled with you a, a huge amount of hope, which, of course, is hope is a massive thing for you. Um, Absolutely. In your writing. Um, Absolutely. It, you've carried that with you. It's just like it's just like telling a person that they're sick, but not really giving them the proper diagnosis. Yeah, they're physically sick, but it's like okay, you're just sick. You're you're not going to make it. Okay, what's wrong with me? Never yeah. giving them the proper diagnosis. That's that, um, and it feels like that the pain of that of those years before you had your diagnosis is something you've carried on, which is, which is why I, I would guess you started Vessels of Hope. Yes, absolutely. I didn't want anyone else to to go through that type of pain or just not knowing what's going on with them and struggling all throughout their lives. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I'm not someone of of, of faith, um, but I I certainly believe that um, to suffer and, and to have suffering in your life uh, opens you up, makes you a more empathetic person, makes you more understanding uh, of the struggles of other people. Um, I think Vessels of Hope is is it's a, it's a quote, isn't it, from the Bible? Um, no, actually, well, not really is the quote. It's something that I <laughs> believe I was given by, by God, um, right. be, just being that, that vessel. And I actually came from just the image that I, I think I recall from myself feeling broken, like a broken vessel. Right. And then when I actually got the proper diagnosis, I felt like oil was being poured in to mend the vessel. Hmm. Yeah. So are those two things coming together? Are they coalescing? So are you, you know, the the struggle you had and, and your desire for other people not to, to struggle in the same way? And does that touch on the spiritual uh, yes. the spiritual side of your life as Absolutely. well? Do they, do they mix? 
Yes, they do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I can see that. I can. I. I, I can. I can certainly feel that because you talk about that quite heartbreaking moment in your book where you were asked at Sunday school to read a passage and you faked a coughing fit in order to get out of doing <laughs> yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so familiar so familiar to any dyslexic person when they have to read in, in front of other people <laughs> yes it's, it's that is it's like for us it's like a deer in headlights isn't it like <laughs> oh no not me <laughs> yes absolutely um so give us a sense of the work that the vessels of hope does that you you engage with because it is it's a it's a wonderful organization Yes. Uh, what Vessels of Hope, what we do is just we do outreach in um, the communities that are really like underserved with the knowledge that's needed. So we do workshops, um, um, educational uh, workshops, outreach, connecting others with resources that they need as far as if they need to get properly identified or diagnosed, as well as uh, connecting them with um, a tutoring services tutoring service that I um, also am connected with. So those are like things that we um, we also do. Also, there was a um, HBO documentary that I was um, actually a part of when I was in college called Journey into Dyslexia. We sometimes go out and actually show that documentary and then we do often do a Q&A that actually really stirs up a lot of conversation because a lot of times people are saying, wow, that's when they the light goes on for them sometimes. Wow, that's me or that's my child or that's my 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 sister or my cousin. They can kind of see either themselves or a family member oftentimes when they actually view that documentary. That's interesting. I mean, it's 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 so frustrating because I tried to watch the documentary um, in, in preparation for this pod, but I can't get it in the UK. I mean, it, I know it's on HBO uh, yeah. uh, Go, um, and it's just I, I mean I couldn't even pay for it. It was it was so frustrating. Oh wow. Oh, um, but but there we go. That's that's a struggle I have to get get on with. But um, so so you grew up in in Philadelphia, and you're and you're still in Philadelphia. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still res- reside in Philadelphia. Yes, which uh, of course is the is the oh, is it the city of uh, brotherly. Brotherly, brotherly love. love, and they say brotherly love and sisterly affection. That's what they call it. Sisterly affection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And is, did you did you find it to be so? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not, at, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, and, yeah. and not only that. I also grew up in an underserved uh, of uh, public school. So oftentimes, as we know, sometimes um, our public school systems they don't always receive the right. Uh, proper um, educational tools as some of the private uh, schools and schools that, you know, people can also, of course, pay for that are more affluential in our in some other um, higher neighborhoods. So that was mm. also a struggle. So oftentimes it's not just, you know, we often say, I often say dyslexia looks, looks different in an impoverished neighborhood than it does in a more affluential neighborhood oftentimes. So that was a part of, you know, getting lack of resources. And I know that that's why my desire is to, to really get the information into those populations, because I know my my mother did not have the pri- proper information at the time. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's certainly the case over here as well. Um, mm-hmm. There are, it's, you know, it's mainly middle class um, families which will, will receive support. Because as you say in your book, it does take a village. You know? It takes, 
it takes um, a village certainly to look after a dyslexic child, but it takes yeah. a lot of financial support for a child to receive the support that they need. I mean, I don't like to pull punches on this on this podcast, and and, I, and I'd love to get into it properly. You know, um, uh, underfunding in America is an issue, certainly in black communities. Um, yes, and and I, and and I know part of um, vessels of hope um, that the, the uh, uh, you. you try to um, provide support for you know, minorities that um, won't get it or, or, or won't receive it. Um, uh, there still isn't that support for those communities in, from, from what I understand, or it's, it's, it's nowhere near as comparable to, to, to white Americans. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it does come down sometimes to the have and have nots. If you have the money and, and not only if you have the money, but if you have the money plus the knowledge your your child is going to be on a better path. But when you're lacking the money and the knowledge, I try to at least provide the knowledge and, and let's ha- see yeah. how we can access some of the information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to um, a brilliant podcast, um, it's American podcast. Oh, forgive me. It's, it's one of the most famous podcasts um, around with uh, Ira Glass. And they did a special on um, the the... Um, black education really was really coming up when um, schools were properly mixed because of course mm-hmm. when you mix uh, white and black students uh, all the support that will come for white students will then uh, the, the black students will receive as well and it was you know instances where white flight happens um, and uh, uh, white parents move away that those that's, uh, that black education suffers and it was yes. such a heartbreaking thing because I mean you know, I'm obviously I've grown up in London, and um, we have and have had uh, non-segregated classes, uh, you know, for the last 50, 60 years, and that's never been an issue. You know, even even in areas um, with uh, uh, with with lots of different minorities, um, you don't have that same level of um, what's the word w- w- with uh, uh, black students being disenfranchised almost really mm. because they don't have the same amount of opportunities. That's that is I mean that's heartbreaking in and of itself that so many uh, generations might be um left out in the cold from that. Was was Absolutely. that your experience? Um Yes. Growing yes, up? It, it was my experience growing up and that's why you know my mother she just believed what the education educators told her and it's and, so, and I, I can't even blame because I had wonderful uh, teachers in fact some of them are still in my life today um from elementary school and from middle school. They, they did the best that they could with the knowledge that they were given. So if the teachers yeah. aren't even properly um, educated as far as dealing with children with dyslexia, how could that information trickle down to the children? So it's, it's yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not even say, saying the teachers did a disservice. How can they, they can't teach what they don't know. So that is mm-hmm. one thing that we're trying to really help change in getting that education or that knowledge to the teachers before they even leave college. Like, you know, I oftentimes I love to go to colleges, especially teacher colleges or teacher classrooms, where I know those teachers are turning out, going right into the classroom. At least they know about dyslexic when they dyslexia when they see it in a child. When they because I mean it's it's that one of the highest learning differences that we have, the learning disabilities that we have. So it's not if you have a child with dyslexia, it's when you have a child with dyslexia in your classroom. At least you can know and and identify that and then try to help the parent get the proper help that that child needs. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the estimates that you put in your book is what, four, 5 to 15% of Americans have dyslexia, which is either 14.5 million people or 43.5 million people. That's huge. Yep. It's huge. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So again, if we, we're, we actually edu- help educate the teachers, what, what a difference that can make. I'm not saying if they, they need to do a proper diagnosis, but at least if you can see the signs that the child is struggling and you know that could possibly be dyslexia, you can then educate that parent. You can then mm. share that information with that parent. And then you have empowered the whole family. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you, you talk so much about uh, empowering people um, to understand dyslexia and in this case, empower uh, teachers. Is is that what you think, is is that the main thrust of, of what will help right that wrong, of, of help dyslexic people get the support they need? Um, starting from educators, or does it really come down to, uh, you know, lots more money, essentially? <laughs> I think it's a combination of both. Um, educating the teachers, um, because I have actually had, had teachers say that it does not exist. Um, so educating teachers, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've had educators say, oh, dyslexia does not exist. So, um, and thank God now we have brain M- MRI images that we can actually see how our brain is functioning <laughs> with dyslexia. We know it exists. Um, yes. So again, educating our teachers, also changing some laws in some in some states, in some local uh, school districts, they can't even say the word dyslexia on an individual IEP plan. So that really? those things need to change. Yes. So a lot sometimes they can't even say the word because it's actually if you state it on their documentations, then they're liable to actually get the right service for that child. And they again, and that's when the funding comes in. The school has lack of funding. They you know they don't have anybody either in that district trained or in that area trained. So that's where the money comes in. So it's actually really a combination of all, of all those things. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, and I, I've, I've often uh, thought of this that there's, there's, there's been whole generations that haven't been served by the educational system, or by people's understanding of the, the many varied intelligences there are. Yes. Um, and it saddens me because it's not merely dyslexic people. Of course, it is. It's based on your gender. It's based on your race. It's based on your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Where people have been passed over on the basis of, of their, of their brains being different. Yes. Um, or. or you know, really, you know, it's it's about their social standing. You know, how much money their parents have, those sorts of things, and it and it, it does amaze me. You know, that America is obviously the um, the superpower at the moment and and has has the most money. Where they could get so much more out of every single citizen. Every single uh, citizen could self actualize, be the best version of themselves they can be, and and it would be it makes America even more successful. Mm. That's that's right. That's right. Again, like you say, if everyone is functioning at their best, the the whole country benefits from that <laughs> because they're everybody's yes. doing what they what they were designed to do. <laughs> completely, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could get into that as a conversation. Why people <laughs> don't don't want people to self actualize um, is a whole different uh, conversation. Um, but. Give me, give me a sense then. So how is it that, that you go about helping people to self-actualize and, and realize that potential? Really just sh- sharing, you know, my story, sharing my story, sharing my experience, but also just helping them to really change that internal dialogue. Uh, you know, maybe they never had an opportunity to explore what they were good at. 
So I try to really encourage people, like, you know, try to explore something different. A lot of times, especially with our adults, we stay kind of under the radar or we stay at a low-end job because we really don't believe that we can do anything better. I mean, I know I was in that state one time, you know, staying in at a low-end job because I really could not believe I could do better than, you know, mopping a floor or, you know, serving, you know, just something menial, which it's nothing wrong, but it's just like there may be something inside of you that's a little better than what you're doing or just different, you know, something that's different. So I try to really encourage, like, try try to look at ways or try to um, try to find other things that you think you might like that you really are good at. And you never know how that can turn into an opportunity that could then bring you a job or making maybe entrepreneurship, maybe it's something that you're doing on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the key. It's the way in, isn't it? For self, for self betterment. It's that simple thing. What was what your heart telling you? What is the thing that you love? I mean, for me, I'm an actor. So it was, it was very clear that I, I wanted to pursue that. Um, it was something I had an aptitude for and, and something I very much enjoyed. And, and of course, words had to become my friend because that's <laughs> I need words in order to um, <laughs> to express how a character is feeling. Um, right. So I, I then I I then had the dog in the fight. I then had to try and find a way to learn and to absorb words in the way that everybody else would. I knew it would would be harder and it would take more time, but it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was hard for me going back to the basics in that year or two that I had to do the media, the, 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 not really medial, but what I really never got in school, the, the, the actual understanding how words are put together. It was hard, but I mm. did it because I knew it was worth it. I knew this yeah. is how I could access the information that I always wanted. Yes. So, so let's go back then. So you get your diagnosis and you're putting those words together. Um, and then, and then I'm assuming things, you know, as you say, it happens, it's worth it. This journey is hard, but, but you, you turn a corner. Where do you go from there? You know, um, education wise. That's when I, that's, at, um, after I finished the, the Wilson program, the program that I, I needed to have the basic program, I was encouraged by family members and actually my tutor at the time to, to actually start, go try college again. And that's when I apply to a local college here called Harcum College. I graduate Harcum with top honors. Then I then I said, oh, wow, look at this. And once I got into my first or second classroom, class rather, in college, I started to really soar because I've always loved learning. So that just unlocked so much. And I had caring teachers and the environment was perfect for me because it was a smaller college and it just worked for me. And yes. I end up not only growing academically, but growing professionally as well. I was I was president of so many clubs there. In fact, I'm still the hmm. president of the uh, of their alumni association now where I just soared because I it yes. was it was like I, there was no stopping me at that point. So from there, I went on to um, go on to my to another college to receive my baccalaureate program, pro, baccalaureate degree rather in psychology and minor in um and um, human services. And then I went on to receive my uh, master's, master's degree as well in multicultural education. So, and then I had my honorary doctorate in Christian education, but my passion for learning, it just still never stops. I love to learn. I love to, and not only me, I don't think I we're meant to just take it all in. I, I'm also mm. adjunct professor. I teach others. 
So we have yes. to pour it out as well. We can't just take it all in for ourselves. We have to, there's, you have to do something now with the information that you're given. And that's my reason for Vessels of Hope. And that's the reason why I love to share information and teach others, because it's like, we have to, we can't just hoard it all in. Yes. And it's also a way, um, I don't know if you feel the same way of, um, you know, you're, you're reminding yourself of things that you know, you know, so through those lessons, through the, th- the lessons you share with people, you're going over things again and you're relearning it for yourself or, or seeing it in a different way and just, and just crystallizing it for yourself in your own head. That's so true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, psychology is endlessly fascinating to me. Um, so <laughs> talk, me through, talk me through that decision for you. I mean, you're obviously a very curious person. And, and then you ask yourself the most profound of questions, which is, you know, uh, why do people think? Why is why do those thoughts happen? Yes, definitely. That, that was my my reason of actually going into psychology, because I said now I, I always had a passion. Well, I actually began to really love psychology. That was that's why I majored in it. But it's it's like not just why they think the way they, but how could, you know, why is our brain wired the way it is and function the way it does? And why is it, you know, how is it different in so many people? Although even coming out of the same family, you know, mm. we're, we're all different yeah. still coming out of the same family. You, you're not going to get the same results. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. And as it all feels like every step you took in terms of your education is all geared towards uh, what you do now in terms of yes. being a teacher and then also with Vessels of Hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was my goal. And I, I, I'm i even, you know, still connected with my tutor today. She said, Tracy, you're doing what you always wanted to do when I even met you. And <laughs> and that that was it. That I mean, when it was unlocked for me that I was dealing with dyslexia or dyslexia is what I had. I'm like, now I want to sh- I wanted to share it with the world. I wanted to let everybody else know, like, don't believe them when they tell you you're stupid. Don't believe them when they tell you you're dumb. It just may be just like you're dyslexic and and yeah. and and you're bright and you're smart. You're articulate. You can do whatever it is that you set your mind to do. You just may have to learn it in a different way. I wanted to tell yes. everybody that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that must be married together with that relief that you feel, you know, I, Oh, I'm, I wasn't stupid. I'm not dumb. It's just, I learn in a different way and look how capable I am when I have the right tools at my disposal. And, and guess what? You can have it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and again, again, I'll, I'll reaffirm. I'm, I'm not a religious person, but did, did you have a sense of like, there's a path for me. I'm not entirely sure what it is, but I feel like I'm on the right one here. Maybe I'm being guided down this path. Maybe, um, there's there's a purpose for me at the end of this, um, or was it more conscious than that? Were you like, right, I'm gonna education. That's where I'm going. No, it was a path for me. Truthfully, when I was little, I wanted to be an interior designer because I love decorating. <laughs> so okay. no, it was, yeah. not, it was not. It was not. <laughs> it, no, it was definitely a path and a journey that I began. That's why I always talk about hope and journey because it was definitely a journey, and I did not. I had. No clue ever that I would be a teacher. No, not in a million years. <laughs> mm. Is that still something you do, interior design, or is that still you know something that you're no, that you love, I, you're passionate I, about? That's I'm something I'm passionate about. I end up doing at some point. I actually end up doing a, 
uh, artificial flowers for weddings. So that was, I geared it towards there, but no, I never, <laughs> I never went down the path of interior design. I just love doing it. But I guess when I got into the education field and really started going to college, that kind of took up more of my time. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I mean, you know, uh, dyslexic people are quite often um, creatives. They quite yes. often have an understanding of how aesthetics, you know, uh, work. They're sort of rules. They have a, an intuitive grasp of those things. Is that mm-hmm. is that something that you that you utilize in in your teaching? I do actually. I do. I do that a lot. I try to think of creative ways to get concepts. You know, talk to my students that are kind of out of the box. I mean, one time, I think I was teaching a. Um, I know it was my psychology class. I think it was uh, abnormal psych or something like that. And I brought these doll babies <laughs> for my students. These are adult students that I teach now. I mean, some of them are 30, 40 years old. But I brought, <laughs> I brought these little doll babies and I think I did something with them. So I really try to think of things creative and out of the box that they can kind of really grasp the concepts um, in, a, in a more tangible way. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I mean, you know, whatever works, whatever works. And I think, you know, exactly. there's that dyslexic people often have uh, creative brains that are lateral. They think they think in, in strange and different ways to, to people who are more direct thinkers. So, you know, it's, that's not surprising. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> but you know what? I think it works for everybody, not just dyslexic um, people. Like the, sometimes the way we think works for a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely it does. <laughs> Um, can you please give us a sense of of your aspirations moving forward? What are the things that you want to achieve professionally, but also in you know in, in your work on Vessels of Hope? Um, yeah, what what were the things that you that you're dreaming about achieving? Um, right now, it's 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 been a little hard since the pandemic. I've, I'm used to going out, and really, I flourish in front of like really connecting with people, and that's been a little hard. But I can't wait until I can get back into you know, a classroom physically and to um, just just growing Vessels of Hope where it's not just, um, maybe it's, it's a program that's in every city or every state where someone can, can actually connect with um, someone there that's a part of Vessels of Hope. And then they too can share the information about resources that's in that city and, the, and connecting them and sharing that information in other um, underprivileged uh, cities. So I would love to see it grow to that capacity where it's, you know, it's maybe a mini Tracy in every state that that they can (laughs) share that information about, you know, about dyslexia and helping parents walk through that journey, helping, helping parents and children walk through that journey together. I would love to see that happen. That's one of the aspirations I have with Vessels of Hope. And I'm actually working possibly on a second book. I'm not sure when, <laughs> but because hmm. the, the first one took a lot out of me, but the second yes. one to help in other areas in, in, you know, not just like in maybe something, a little manual for college students, a little manual for in the workplace and things like that. I mean, this was kind of an overall thing, but maybe detailing some other information in, in, in dealing in those areas. So. Mm-hmm. And, and as a teacher, as a teacher, I'm I'm just I'm actually looking to explore what other subject areas I can teach. I've taught abnormal psych, psychology, um, um, actually um, just very other like 
business math. And that was a shock to me. But I actually thought that once. <laughs> wow. um, so I'm looking to explore other things. Because like you say, not when we teach, we actually learn. I learn so much from my students. And I learn so much even as I'm learning the concepts and information. And information, even if it's if it's something I've already taught, reviewing that and looking in other areas where I haven't taught in that subject, it's another opportunity to grow. Tracy, that's beautiful, and and the perfect note for us to end on. So I want to thank you again for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been a pleasure of mine as well. <laughs> Have a great day. You have been listening to Words Found Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia with me, Jude Monk McGowan. My guest today was the CEO and founder of Vessels of Hope, Dr. Tracy Johnson. This podcast was funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. And there are more conversations in this series. Just search Words Found Me, a podcast about thriving with dyslexia and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And if you want to support the charity or access its many services, go to dyslexia-help.org. And if you really enjoy this podcast, please go rate, subscribe and leave us a little review. It really helps us grow.